0: Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you, and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you, and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi, welcome to the show. I have Sandeep Nath here today. He is um, the author of King Gong for Beginners. He's a Reiki master, a mindfulness trainer and a Limitless Living Guide and Coach. And he is with us today all the way across the world in India. Welcome to the show, Sandeep.
1: Absolute delight. Thank you for inviting me over, Tina. It's so wonderful to be telecommuting these days across the world. It it feels lovely to meet people like you and all your listeners. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that we can connect Um, over the internet or social media and um, that's one of the things that I love about doing the show is I get to meet people from all walks of life all over the world. So I'm excited to talk to you about your background a little bit because I am curious about Qigong. I don't know much about it and then we were planning to talk about consciousness but I like to do the show organically. We'll see what we end up discussing.
1: All right. <laughs> it's an open canvas. Let's see where it goes. All right. So that, that's wonderful uh, that you start with the subject of uh, qigong, actually. Oh, qigong. And mm-hmm. the reason we call it qigong is because the word qi itself has uh, two pronunciations in um, in Mandarin. And one is the CHI Qi, which is like Tai Chi. And the other is QI, which is as in Qigong. So that's QI GONG. And uh, the reason why uh, QI is considered the, the original form of any energy work is because the word QI in Mandarin means life force energy. And the word G-O-N-G, which is pronounced gang, means to work with, to cultivate, to harness. So quite literally, qigong is working with energy. And it's it's you know, therefore the, the mother of any practice that involves uh, working with energy. And uh, it's about 4,000, 5,000 years old. And there's obviously therefore a lot of ways in which people work with energy. But... Um, when, when this came into the Shaolin school uh, around 2,000 years ago, that's when they started uh, experimenting with energy work. And they, in fact, formed the, the concept of Tai Chi and then the concept of Kung Fu, which is actually Gang Fu, Gang meaning to work again, and Fu with intensity. So when you work with energy intensively, then you can, like Bruce Lee, use that energy to make people fly even if you aren't very muscular yourself. So, <laughs> so all of that would be some form of Qigong, but essentially a Qigong practitioner would uh, would work with his respiration, with his movements and with energy to keep them in balance. And that balance brings about a kind of alignment, a kind of harmony of body, mind, spirit. And it is... Therefore, extremely healing, extremely um, good for rebalancing your health and uh, probably the last word in wellness. That's kind of the background. And of course, we can go as deep as you like to.
0: (laughs) So is it just a practice for the person that learns it? You don't really use it on anybody else or like Reiki, you're working
1: on somebody else, or you have that option? You do have that option, yes, Mm -hmm. but uh, let's say, uh, whereas in Reiki, it is almost like 50-50, you could use it for self-healing, and you could use it for healing others. Mm -hmm. In Qigong, it would be, say, 80-20 loosely, where you would, by and large, use Qigong practices for keeping yourself in balance, keeping yourself in alignment, keeping stress away, creating an energy shield around you, kind of uh, a protective uh, force, and strengthening your aura, your auric bubble, or whatever you might want to label it. And you could also, because any, anything that you do with energy is uh, Qigong, You could also direct it and uh, move energies in other people's fields to be able to clear blockages and uh, stuff like that. So in some measure, anything, whether it's access bars or it's tapping or it's uh, acupressure, all of that would come under the purview of uh, Qigong in a sense. Mm-hmm. but since these other methodologies that i mentioned are more focused outwardly uh, to to work w- with others uh, tapping of course again something you do for yourself but um, uh, you, you you get the picture i mean yeah. uh, a lot of the work with our energy flows with our energy anatomy with the the meridians and stuff like that is uh, possible with um, are working on others. But when you're just working on the the alignment aspect and keeping yourself really fit, then uh, you, would, you would really use uh, what Qigong was originally designed for, let's put it that way. Although I can't say that with any degree of certainty because I wasn't around 4,000 years ago. <laughs> but I think it was designed for that. <laughs> Well, it's
0: been around a long time, and it's something that when I'm teaching Reiki, I try to teach my students how to shield themselves, but this seems to be more involved. Um, The practice of Qigong seems to be more involved about
1: that, so that's interesting. I may look into that. Yeah, let me me throw some light on that, because uh, I am also a Reiki master, and uh, so I can see where you're coming from. And while we we look at the same energy field and we, we look at using the ambient energy around anybody, whether it is uh, uh, a Reiki session administered by distance or by contact, we would be looking at uh, how, in, in the case of Qigong, we would be looking at how we can connect our inner energy with, the energy around us. So it's a kind of unification process. Mm-hmm. And um, what they say in traditional Chinese medicine, which again goes back uh, as many thousand years, is that there are only three elements, uh, not elements, let's say there are only three entities the universe, the earth, and us. So our job is to be a pipe that connects the earth with the universe and the cleaner this pipe is the better connected we are and the healthier we are and the simpler our life is so it's about uh, that internal cleansing and the transference of power from uh, the divine energy around us through us for us within us and again from the earth up uh, just communing through us that's what gives us our power. That's what keeps us healthy.
0: So do you have any stories you'd like to share today about um, Reiki or Qigong or consciousness?
1: All the of the above. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's start with consciousness because that is a term you brought up uh, a few minutes ago as well. And uh, just like to make sure that our listeners are getting the right uh, context for because that is um, that's that's a word that's often uh, vague and we don't really understand what is consciousness is it awareness is it mindfulness is it uh, having a conscience so uh, well let's start with that because to clarify that Consciousness is something that's all around us, within us, and we are of it, and it is of us. It is, in a sense, a manifestation of energy. It is all uh, that that we are about. And therefore, it is kind of the the superset of um, everything and everybody. Within that, when you're aware that, yes, we have this kind of oneness with what we're around, it's like the fish being aware that it is in the water. Uh, a fish need not necessarily be aware unless it knows the duality of water and land or water and air. And when it, when it is aware of that, then it's uh, possible for the fish to contemplate getting deeper connected with the water and uh, you know going deeper or going in shadow water there are those choices that are based on our awareness so that is what we would mean when we talk about uh, being in a state of higher consciousness or higher vibrations which means we are connected with our true selves with our true nature more deeply and our true nature is that of uh, the highest vibration, which would be bliss or even enlightenment. It's like uh, being part of the deep, deep blue sea, profound and calm and steady at all points in time. The, the closer you come to the shore, the more your ego wells up, the more individuality you have. And uh, I often... Uh, give that analogy that the waves are like uh, our individual cells. And we often uh, get into these uh, discussions, debates, arguments about uh, whether I'm a surf or a wave or a ripple or, uh, you know, and what I can do. Can I bash that rock? Can I make it into a piece of sand in this lifetime? And all, all that is just manifestation of ego. Which keeps us away from our true self, which is the deep blue sea. We just pull back and it's the same element, it's the same thing. So we, we we really have to understand that being in a state of high consciousness is being in a vibration where there is practically no vibration. We are we are the universe, we are all there is, and that is us, that is of us. And since I had the good fortune of uh, learning Qigong, learning about our energy and uh, various energy practices from Lamas in Tibetan monasteries in the Himalayas, I can tell you for a fact that sitting out there in the Himalayas, in the ice, they have preserved knowledge and practices for thousands of years (laughs) the way the way vegetables would be nicely preserved in your refrigerator you know in your (laughs) freezer Mm -hmm. so uh, you cook veggies and you put them in the freezer and they're good even after two months here they even they're good even after 2000 years so we've got some some intense knowledge that uh, people in those times in the times of the buddha for example uh, 2,500 years ago, it was it was all orally transmitted. All the knowledge about energy, about enlightenment, about raising consciousness and becoming one with the uh, universal energy—that's what enlightenment would be, in a sense. It was it was all orally transmitted, and it was written down much much later. But you can imagine the kind of people these were who could who could fathom huge experiential knowledge as well as uh, stuff that uh, uh, is is process driven so you know there's a way of doing certain things there are ways of making uh, uh, certain statements which i would call mantras which guide the mind in a certain way and therefore you arrive at certain destinations of uh, conscious awareness and uh, all of that Imagine the guys uh, who, who were just able to internalize this and then pass it over and pass it over and pass it over generation after generation. It's amazing. And then, of course, by the time it reached Tibet, it was well-documented. So we've got... That's why if you uh, any of our listeners have been to any of these Tibetan monasteries, there are walls and walls full of uh, uh, pieces of... Uh, Uh, paper which is, which are rolled up into pieces of cloth, and those are uh, scriptures which um, have been handwritten and circulated across every monastery there is, so there's a wall full of those things all over the place, so in case you're wondering why they have those uh, papers inside, uh, um, uh, inside these uh, cloth wrappings, uh, they, they are all original texts, Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the starting point. And my story with regard to this was that I was uh, a corporate professional. I was uh, in fact running a brand consulting company when I started getting disturbed by the, the fact that most of my clients and uh, almost every other case study that I heard or read about seemed to be creating more problems in the world than they were solving. <laughs> So that disturbed me, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the the business process outsourcing firms that came to India, they just uh, made young kids, twenty uh, somethings, uh, do fairly clerical work. In fact, clerical would be a glorified word. It it was automatons, you know. They were working like robos against the biorhythm, working in the nights, and solving problems that, to my mind, shouldn't have existed in the first place. So. Uh, that got me thinking That when is this where uh, hundreds and thousands of kids are headed? And is this where the next generation is going? Are, are we cutting ourselves out to be robotic in our approach? And I'm talking about 20 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And today we find that uh, this is far more rampant. And uh, that is kind of uh, part of the problem statement. But uh, I chose not to be part of the problem. And I sought answers about our purpose and our consciousness from Vedic gurus, from uh, a lot of these uh, very, very holy, saintly people we have around in India. Some of them internationally well-known names like Sri Sri Ravi Shankar and Satya Sai Baba. And I was just fortunate again to get an audience, get to learn from them, spend time there. And I started getting answers. And one of them, uh, a gentleman called Chariji of the Heartfulness Foundation, he he suggested that uh, I study more about our energy from the dividends because they seem to have, like I said, preserved the knowledge well. And uh, it, it's all knowledge that comes from Vedic principles as well as Taoist principles. And so that's what I did. And then I spent some months in the monasteries there and uh, started applying those things. And I found that, hey, presto, I'm on a different path altogether. And uh, I'm a corporate retiree today and uh, extremely happy with the, the way the last 10, 12 years have turned out, including the last one year, for that matter. We can choose to be happy wherever we are, in whatever state we are in because that's driven by our consciousness. So now, what, have,
0: what have you been yeah. up to um, in the past 10 years? So you, did you
1: leave your branding job or? Yes, I mm-hmm. did. I
0: mm-hmm. did.
1: I handed my company over to the other directors before I headed out to the Himalayas. And then when I got back, I spent about six years working in Indian villages in remote corners, enabling uh, uh, women to become micro entrepreneurs and uh, bring solar products and solar grids into villages which were not provided with electricity and would probably not be for many years and give them uh, uh, a means to be able to support themselves independently which has huge uh, impact on the, the social structure and the, the way that uh, the money flows within the household. So it creates a lot of behavioral change as well. And uh, while I was doing that, my wife and I, my wife is from Mexico, and we're both Tibetan Buddhists and we're both uh, practitioners of energy. So, we had started working on these principles for ourselves on Qigong and then started doing workshops and talks, sensitizing other people about this and started enjoying doing that too. And uh, I mentioned she's from Mexico because that gave us an opportunity to travel between India and Mexico almost every year. And uh, in doing so, because these two countries are antipolar, <laughs> we we, we found good reason to stop around Europe and various other countries. And so we, we did the workshops across four continents over the last five years. And uh, why I say five years? Because sometime around 2016, we had to actually make a choice, a conscious decision uh, about whether to stick with solar energy and uh, remote villages or personal energy and across the globe. And so we chose personal energy across the globe and designed a ge- kind of geographically independent lifestyle. And uh, that just dovetailed with the, the, the pandemic where we were to be geographically independent by, uh, without choice. But uh, that, that, was, that was an opportunity for me to bring these 15 years of ancient oriental wisdom into products, which I call inner power programs and uh, essentially the inner power programs are focused on uh, uh, how you use the the power that we have inside so there, there are programs for uh, connecting with the divine energy like uh, what i was telling you about in the context of qigong so i created a business qigong module because i i stand at a very unique cusp of uh, having the corporate background as well as uh, this kind of uh, knowledge of energy and wisdom from Japan, China, Tibet, and India. And uh, also, therefore, I, I've got a lot of focus on stress. And Tina, in fact, I'm going to crusade against stress because I believe that uh, in the process of designing our lives and businesses, we have somewhere uh, lost sight of what we always knew. And to bring that ancient oriental wisdom back into the workforce today, is one of the, uh, the, the major agendas I have for this decade. I call it renewal, the renewalism movement. And uh, renewal comes from, uh, the word comes from the book that I wrote last year, which is titled Renewal. And it's, it's been internationally acclaimed uh, and it has given us the reason to, to form renewal clubs and get on with actually creating a movement around human consciousness so the whole purpose of renewal and renewalism is to raise human consciousness through habits through what we do on a day-to-day basis and uh, we can talk more about that if uh, you think that would be of interest to our listeners but well, um, I that's like how the ask, last 10 years have panned out
0: I would like to ask you about the being a Tibetan Buddhist and how that came about. And I know you have uh, interesting experience with that with your wife when you were chanting in a meditation. So can you share that with the audience?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, where do I start? It's like this, Uh, there there are these texts that put you in in a zone, you, you get into a certain uh, way of directing the mind and a certain depth of connecting with the bottom of the ocean, to use the analogy we were talking about five minutes ago. And uh, in the process of getting into that zone, that space, there are certain texts that you could read and it's the vibrations of those texts because they're in Tibetan. Of course, they could, they, they're all translated, but uh, if you read them in the original language, the vibration is really strong. But if you read the translated versions, also th- there is there is the the goodness of the intent that carries you through. As you're well aware, uh, energy is uh, carried through by intent, and uh, all this all these practices are energy driven practices. So what is uh, there is a certain practice which goes on for about 4 5 hours you know it's a long text and uh, this was um, actually not i was not directly involved it was my wife and her friends and they were uh, doing this practice at one go uh, it's normally recommended to do it in one go but people do like to break it up into three or four sections but she was doing it the way it's recommended and oh, all through that, uh, since there were four of them practicing, uh, sometimes one or two would take a break, and then the others would continue and keep chanting, chanting, chanting. It's it's not it's not exactly a chant. It's uh, just reading, so it's it's not a repetitive thing. It's uh, just reading the text from page one to page n. And about three three and a half hours into this, they were all dog tired can imagine sitting there sipping water and that's about it, you know, reading, reading, reading. So when they, and, they
0: weren't reading it out loud, they were reading it to themselves?
1: No, they were reading it out loud. Oh, they were okay. It out loud so that there was a reverb in the room. Uh-huh. And uh, so that, that that consumes more of your energy, right? When, when you, right? when you're vocalizing it. So yes, they were reading it out loud. Thanks for pointing that out. And they, they were sort of uh, one after the other stopping and at one point in time they found that all four of them had their voices off (laughs) and what do you know what did they know rather there was a fifth voice that came out in the room and these four they didn't they didn't move they didn't stir They, they were kind of frozen over there till that voice sounded familiar enough in the sense, friendly enough, let's say. And it continued on that text and maybe it did it for, uh, you know, in in circumstances like these, you don't really know how much time has elapsed. Mm -hmm. But it could be 30 seconds to five minutes, something like that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Before these uh, people, uh, my wife and her friends got the courage to start again and then when they started again they could continue to hear that fifth voice and uh, he says none of us turned our heads <laughs> to see where it's coming from but it is obviously coming in the same line and it's like there's a fifth person sitting at, at one corner of the room and uh, the next hour hour and a half that they took to finish this was with a completely different rush of energy it was with the uh, non-stop, and all four of them at it. in fact, all five of them at it. And uh, I think the the other voice gave them the the pace and the encouragement to complete it in one go. And uh, probably the voice tapered off before they finished, uh, but then they were in that momentum to finish. and by the time they finished, there was uh, the four of them very relieved. Very happy and very amazed. So that was that was uh, something that actually happened uh, in our practices. But you know Tina? What happens with the the way that the Tibetans uh, practice um, uh, what's called Vajrayana? They they do some very, very supernatural things. I mean, it appears supernatural, but that's the way that uh, they have evolved these practices. And uh, one of the things, for example, is something that uh, if you like, listeners would like to Google up a word, bardo, B-A-R-D-O. It's a word that describes an intermediate state between the state of life and death. Or, sorry, uh, between the state of death and life. Now, what do I mean by that? The state of death and life is post the physical death of a person and his or her rebirth in whatever form. And that, that state has to be navigated. So we've actually got to go through the bardo in order to get to the next life and it is uh, let's say empirically found that if you have had enough knowledge of uh, these processes to know and have experienced uh, practices relating to the bardo then you would have been spiritually evolved enough like you would have the right karmic Balance, let's say, to uh, return in the human form. So th- there is a, a low chance of uh, a rebirth in uh, any of the lower realms, uh, which would mean to include the realms of animals, of ghosts and spirits, and of uh, complete drudgery, which would be called hell. So you would uh, probably have laid your karmic. Uh, ground to escape those, those three and that you would come back in the human realm if you really know how to navigate that bardo well and that's what these guys do simulations for, okay, so they're sitting out there in the mountains <laughs> they have nothing better to do than simulate their own death experience check out what's going on on the other side and then come back <laughs> into their existing body <laughs> so those are the kind of, I mean, I have met people who do that stuff. They do it now, they've been doing it for thousands of years. And uh, in fact, I have a photograph with uh, a very high Lama who's lent himself to a lot of scientific research. Uh, all this, um, all this uh, Harvard University reports, uh, papers, and all that about meditation uh, actually calming uh, us down, soothing us. Uh, you know, we we in in the Western world, especially, need a lot of scientific evidence. Uh, so uh, there is this la, there are these lamas, Mingyur uh, Rinpoche, uh, and uh, the Happiness Man. He's uh, a French monk, and uh, his name is Matthew Ricard. Uh, they got all those um, EEGs and whatever uh, fancy. Uh, frms or something like that uh, sorry I'm, I'm i'm sure i would have the right alphabet for the second one but there um, there are these uh, fancy equipment listeners who are connected with uh, that part of the world uh, that part of uh, uh, science would would know what i'm talking about uh, they, so they've gone through all these things and uh, done those tests which have resulted in those reports which are now convincing now, meaning this is about 20, 25 years ago. And why I say all this is because uh, this very person, Mingyu Rinpoche, he disappeared in 2011. I used to know him just before he disappeared. And uh, he he is a very, very high lama. He is uh, got a very huge uh, following and uh, he's, he's responsible for a lot of... Uh, in the centers across the world. And suddenly he goes missing. And then they find him somehow six years later in 2017 and he comes back. And so I have a photograph of him when he came back. <laughs> he still had his beard at that point in time. And uh, he, he just went off because he wanted to live the life of the yogi the way they would have lived a thousand years ago. And so what I'm, why I bring that up is because uh, listeners interested could uh, check out the book, um, In Love with the World by Mingyur Rinpoche. And uh, I don't think he calls himself Rimpoché. Rinpoche means precious in mm-hmm. Tibetan, but Mingyur, M-I-N-G-Y-U-R uh, would be enough of a search word. And uh, so he documents the, the, the start of his journey in this very decade, in the last decade for God's sake. So th- there are these very, very interesting um, uh, studies that the Tibetans have been conducting and uh, historically and even now, which, uh, which make us very familiar with uh, the process of death, dying and rebirth. And uh, that's also why, uh, for those who might be wondering, you have the 14th Dalai Lama and the 17th Karmapa, who are currently in the world. They they have these numbers not because it's like uh, uh, King John the fifth or uh, whatever. It's it's not that way. It's because it's the same mind stream that elected to come back, and because the body gives up after a while, and uh, that mind stream is where it's coming back is something that. Uh, these high llamas inform other high llamas before they pass off. And then the other high llamas get together because each of them have certain clues. And when the clues are in place, then they're able to locate uh, where the rebirth has happened. And so then they send a search team out and by the age of three, four, five, the kid is uh, found. He recognizes his um, stuff from the past life, he's already pretty high up in the in the space of uh, knowing stuff, uh, you know, in terms of mental development. And then, uh, I mean, even though the kid may not speak much, because like any other human kid, uh, they would just be starting to speak at three, four, whatever. But they would they would have certain actions and certain vibrations that uh, validate. That they are that person. And so the Dalai Lama, for instance, has gone through 13 different bodies in the past by choice and come back. And from what I understand, he has elected not to come back as a 15th. So, because he believes that now the world doesn't uh, uh, need the Dalai Lama, A, we don't have the, the Tibetan kingdom anymore, country, and B, there is too much politics. And therefore he would, uh, he's encouraging the Tibetans and the Indians and the Chinese for that matter to uh, later rest this thing. So he has announced that he would not be uh, directing where he, is, uh, be where he is to be found or where he's to be reborn. So this, uh, is
0: and, this, is the, this is the last time he's coming back.
1: This is the last Dalai Lama we're seeing at 86 years of age. Wow.
0: So I want to go back to the story. The Chinese
1: will announce one. Sorry. uh, uh, Just to complete that thought, there is every chance that the Chinese will announce one to gain political control over Tibet. But that's a different subject.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I want to go back to the story where your wife and her friends were reading those texts. Was there anything special about what were the texts about? Do you know what were they reading
1: about? Yeah, so this is a form of, um, um, it's, okay, now let me pull back a step here. If you've been to a Tibetan monastery, you would be aghast. Because if you've been acquainted with Buddhism, peace and uh, minimalism and stuff like that, uh, you would you'd be very comfortable in a japanese zen monastery which is just wood metal and uh, you know basic elements but in a tibetan monastery you would find a whole lot of color you'd find a whole lot of noise a lot of instruments drums uh, wind pipes and stuff like that and you would find a lot of paintings with a lot of devilish imagery on them and, uh, uh, you know, you, you would really wonder, I mean, what's going on here? It doesn't look peaceful. Where's the Buddha? <laughs> you know? so, somebody forget forget the Buddha you know? and <laughs> this, this entire bunch of stuff you've got in this room. So the reason I say this is because that's Vajrayana, which, uh, which is a form of Buddhism that sort of amalgamated with uh, an original spiritual form uh, called Bon in the Himalayas. And uh, Bon practitioners were like many other practitioners, let's say the, the Mayans or the Maoris or uh, the Egyptians or uh, even even the Greeks. Uh, they, they've always had these practices with the elements, the fire, the wind, the earth, Stuff like that, right? So, uh, Bon it was a practice of that sort, and uh, and what these lamas figured, or rather, the early practitioners of uh, Buddhism figured, is that if you've got to be liberated, they, they got they got the end objective of uh, what the Buddha said. Okay, liberation. So, if you've got to be liberated, there's one very important step. That is, you've got to die. Which is where this whole bardo business comes in, you know. So what happens when you die? How do you simulate that? And that's when they discovered that all this is an alchemy of energy. It's a transmutation of energies. And so, once I got to understand that all these tankas, which is a word for paintings, all these forms that we have in these uh, monasteries are nothing but forms of energy once i understood that i in fact uh, got clarity in the the reason why the hindus and i i was born and brought up as a hindu uh, why the hindus have so many 33000 gods and goddesses because they are the same logic they are the forms of energy and different uh, strokes for different folks so you know you you have a magnetic attraction to wealth then there's a goddess of wealth you have an attraction to education there's a goddess of uh, education intellect you know and and so on and so forth power and this and that so you you can you can actually have a buffet where you pick the the form of energy that uh, you feel deficit in and work with that So now the reason for this uh, prelude was that there there are energy forms where you might have seen um, a male and female in sexual union Uh, right up there huge on the entire wall of uh, the so-called celibate monk's house, right? (laughs) So what's, what's that doing out there? So that is the union of wisdom and compassion of the duality of uh, emptiness and bliss of man and woman. It's it's a representative of that those energies coming together. And this practice which uh, she was she uh, and her friends were doing was something that relates with the energy form that uh, represents uh, this uh, coming to oneness with that uh, concept, coming into oneness with non-duality. So that that that's uh, that's a short answer, which would have probably been meaningless, uh, and it's probably still meaningless, I guess, because like, what is duality? But uh, for those of you who are uh, Familiar with you know, duality basically is like this, it's all with uh, everything. So, everything exists because the other exists. There is interdependence of everything.
0: So, and did they recognizing ever. recognizing
1: that interdependence is key. Yeah, go on, Tia. Yeah.
0: Did they ever figure out who joined them? And no,
1: the reading of the text? It nope nope but that said there was uh, a guy who uh, was resident in that house in mexico and uh, we we've, we've had him uh, watering the plants when we've been away and stuff like that also so so but we, we don't credit that guy with Buddhist knowledge, <laughs> we <laughs> get a feeling that that guy is from Argentina.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But He's more of a caretaker kind of guy, but he, mm. he's very much there in that house.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, when you practice meditation or practice Reiki or some sort of energy healing, those type of experiences happen. They can happen, you know, so I don't know when you're practicing Reiki if you call in, you know, healing, a healing God or goddess or angels, or I always do that in the beginning. And I always joke with my fellow Reiki practitioners or friends, you know, you never know who's going to show up (laughs) and help you in the session. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And so that I guess this, this being showed up He enjoyed the reading of the text and he joined your wife. And I assume it's a he. I don't know if he said it was a he. It was a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he just decided to join with them and maybe keep them, keep the pace for them, give them some extra energy to finish.
1: Totally. Totally. I'm sure it was
0: exciting, you know, after three and a half hours of reading it aloud and all of a sudden you hear another voice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A little spooky, but then, you know, like you said, uh, when you're working with energy, you are expecting these kind of things. Mm -hmm. You're you're not surprised by them and you're not spooked by them, but you, you, you do get amazed.
0: Yeah. You never know what happens. And that's what I love about energy healing. And you always learn something new, too. You know, something new and unusable pops up. So, well, I wanted to thank you, Sandeep, for coming on the show. Can you share with the audience how to contact you if they're interested in your um, coaching or, or your book that you authored? Just share your website. Sure.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. It would be great if you could uh, pass these links on in the description below mm-hmm. because um, I think uh, the, the best place to get in touch with me would be sandeepnath.com. That's S-A-N-D-W-T-N-A-T-H. Uh Sandeepnath.com is uh, on the top right corner. You've got links to all my social handles and WhatsApp especially. I am active on WhatsApp and I'd love to hear From you if you've heard this far uh, I'd love you to say hi (laughs) but uh, if you're if you're a person of action and if you're seeking to do more in life uh, and help more people then please get on to renewalism.com that's uh, renewalism.com and uh, go through it there's 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 a little video there Uh, talks of uh, what's in it for you on the homepage itself and then uh, connect up on the reach us page or um, pick up a free copy of the book you can download it download a pdf right from the grab a copy page and then the movement page is where I was actually wanting people to take a real look because uh, you know in this decade we have suddenly found in the last decade we've found veganism becoming a, a bit of a movement even though the initial concept of veganism was started in the mid 50s 1950s and uh it's probably because of a social media and b uh this generation gen z which i believe has their heads on uh, screwed on right or at least better than uh the preceding two generations, they they are more open, they're more innovative, and they are more, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, conscious of what we're doing to the planet. So if veganism could pick up suddenly now, because it's about our consciousness about animals and exploitation of that, then renewalism ought to pick up in this decade because it's about human consciousness and what is it that we are doing to ourselves and how more importantly we can self-correct and how can you play a role in self-correcting just like uh, Tina you said uh, right at the beginning Qigong is it about just us or is it us and others and I said it's 80-20. Similarly, renewalism is like 80% working on ourselves, on our own habits, for our own health, happiness, and harmony. And 20% on becoming the role model for others because your habits are what are going to influence people around you. Your habits don't just make a difference to the way things turn out for you. They make a difference for everybody who sees you and uh, gets influenced. And then at a third level, your habits what carry over into your karmic mind stream because that is what you do karma is the sanskrit word for action and action is a consequence of habit you will act the way you're habituated to act so when in the 70s 80s 90s people worked a lot on the development of computers and technology they got into those actions and that became the karmic imprint that resulted in the kids who were born in the 2000s and uh, the Gen Z who are digital natives not because uh, they have uh, access to technology but because they just know technology because it's come as part of their karmic mindstream, their karmic uh, imprint. And that's proof enough of rebirth. So I'm sure Steve Jobs is uh, 10 years old somewhere uh, already a uh, 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 a guy who's built three thousand apps or something like that. <laughs> but uh, that—that's that, the pace at which kids are going these days. They're building apps, they're becoming YouTube millionaires, and all the things because they—they uh, are like they're like fish in the water with uh, stuff like this. And so that's the importance of habits. And we we want to self-correct the human race with the the right habits for our own renewal, so that's what the book is about that's what the movement is about and please guys from what tina tells me uh, you guys the listeners are of that kind of mindset which which understands and appreciates the importance and the significance of uh, saving the planet uh and here's a chance that we do it together so let's be in touch thank you so much tina for that shout out
0: Okay, thank you, Sandeep. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings. And I also offer classes on Reiki, Shamanism, and Tarot, and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218, or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com, that's T I N A. K-I-N-N-E-Y C-L-A-R-K-E Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com Check out our website on tinakinneclark.com Also, we're on Facebook. And like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.